to action's antidotes. Your antidote to the mindset that keeps you settling for less. And one thing that keeps a lot of people settling for less is lack of confidence, the inability to speak up, say what you really want, or even within yourself, believe that you are capable of and deserving what you really want. This is a topic that inflicts, I think, a lot of people. I think a lot of people are affected by this. And it's something that people are even sometimes ashamed to really admit and how often this is something that impedes us from getting the life that we really truly want. My guest today, Jamie McKinney, specializes in helping people find that confidence. She is the founder and president of JMD Consulting. Jamie, welcome to the program. Thank you, Stephen. I'm so excited to be here with you. I think a lot of people are thinking about self-confidence and a lot of people do have issues with self-confidence. What made you feel like was going to be the thing that you brought into the world, the business you started, what service you want to provide for humanity? Yes. Oh, great question for humanity. That sounds so heartwarming and so big and I love it. So this actually started very early in my career. So like two decades ago, that confidence I figured out was my survival skill initially. And then it graduated once I started to figure out some of the nuances of it, it graduated to my thriving skill. And that was really important. I started my career in the automotive industry. So it was very heavily male dominated. That was my first job out of college. I was the third female to join a team of 400. I was the youngest by on average about 20 years. I hadn't grown up in the automotive industry, so I didn't have stories to regale with them. And the one thing I did have that some of my comrades did not was a college degree. And so the you remember the game, which one of these things is not like the others. <laughs> that was definitely <laughs> me in a variety of categories. And you know, there were definitely shenanigans and resistance. And I was also learning. I was also new. And I figured out though early on that I didn't have to be the smartest person in the room. I didn't have to have the most experience. I certainly didn't have to be the most male as long as I carried myself with confidence and led with that confidence. So it just started out being kind of like my secret sauce, my way of having an advantage in an industry, in a company, in a place where my advantages were limited as I was gaining experience. And so a lot of people would struggle, I think, with the idea of finding that confidence, whether it be a survival skill or a thriving skill. And a lot of people would kind of cower or one of the things that happens with a lot of people who lack self-confidence is kind of just doing whatever the boss says, not setting boundaries. Boss told me I need to work over the weekend and I'm not going to say, I'm sorry, no, my other parts of my life matter too. What gave you the ability, I guess, to, or the courage to develop that self-confidence and to show that self-confidence in this automotive industry where you were the one that's not like the other for several different reasons? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Good question. Well, one, I wanted to be there. You know, I wanted to be successful in business and I wanted to learn. So I was in an environment and in a place that I saw as a challenge and I like challenges. So part of it was just, I was innately ready to learn something and to do something that I hadn't done yet. To break it down though, to a smaller piece. And this is something in my book I talk about is figuring out your hit it to me skill. And the hit it to me skill is a reference to a baseball interview that Derek Jeter was on in the early 2000s. I was listening to this interview sitting you know, on the couch in my apartment when I was fresh out of college. And 
the journalist was interviewing Jeter and he was teeing up this very dramatic question. And he said, okay, Jeter, it's the bottom of the ninth. You know, the go-ahead runs on third. You're standing there at shortstop. The batter steps up to the plate. What's going through your head? And Jeter said, hit it to me. And he said it so fast and so suddenly. I remember I and the journalist both leaned in and said, what did you say? And, And Jeter sat back. And not in a cocky or an arrogant way, but just in an unequivocally confident way. He said, hit it to me. He said, that's my job. When I'm in that situation, I know how to catch that ball. I know how to field that ball. I know how to get the out, hit it to me. And when he said that, it really blew me away. And it it got my wheels turning about, okay, well, I'm not a shortstop for the New York Yankees or really anyone. But in my job, what could be my skill set where I have that same unequivocal confidence. So for me, one of the things that came naturally to me and that I enjoyed doing was speaking. Throughout college, I had to do many presentations and stand, I went to Ohio State. So sometimes it's standing up in a classroom with 300 people. Yeah. <laughs> and so I really leaned into that and I practiced those skills to get even better so that what started out as one of my strengths became one of my superpowers. And everybody knew like, hey, Jamie's good at doing this. And it led to special opportunities that led to special invitations that I always said yes to. So while I wasn't the most technically savvy person or you know, maybe wasn't the strongest in the chemistry part of what I was doing, I could communicate and I could speak in that manner. And that really worked in my favor. And everybody has a hit it to me skill if you know one if not several and like you said you know in the introduction i specialize in drawing this out of people and showing them hey you do have this confidence you do have this ability and the really cool thing about confidence is that once you grow it in one area it really has this compounding effect that it allows you to become confident in other areas as well oh wow so it sounds like it starts with confidence through competence yes <laughs> And what you're saying is this hit it to me skill is what brings us from the point where I feel like a lot of people, when the equivalent of the bottom of the ninth situation comes around, whatever your personal equivalent is in your industry, this is when it's really on the line. Oftentimes we'll dread say, oh, I really hope it goes to someone else. Or I really hope someone else is the one that ends up being responsible, being in charge out of this fear of messing up. Mm -hmm. Does it take any other skill set besides competence, is there another aspect of your mindset that needs to be developed to avoid saying stressing over even that like one in a thousand or one in 10,000 chance that you might somehow screw it up? (laughs) Yes, that's a great question. And I love that you said confidence is built on competence because, you know, sometimes your challenge is, well, wait a minute, is this like a fake it till you make it situation? And I say, absolutely not. Confidence is not a substitute for competence. That's not a sustainable strategy. So you're spot on with that, Stephen. And I wanted to make sure to, to highlight that. Yeah. And then along the lines of the competence, failure, imposter syndrome, you know, there's a lot of different things that we call it, right? Anytime you do something for the first time, of course, you're going to have a little trepidation because you haven't done it before. You haven't practiced. But the mindset trick that you can do is in saying to yourself, instead of being afraid, I'm going to be curious. Mm. I'm going to learn. So it's it's all what, you know, the goal that you set in your mind is what now your thoughts and your body is going to collect evidence to support. So if you say, I'm afraid and I'm fearful, well, you're going to collect all kinds of little bits of evidence to support that. And you're going to see other people judging you. You're going to see all the things that you missed as opposed to shifting your mindset to saying, okay, I'm going to be in discovery mode. This isn't about being perfect. This is about making progress. 
And when you think about your progress and then pointing to the things that, for example, when you're taking those first few steps, okay, I learned this. I learned that. I know this now, which I didn't know before. And you can use all of those to add to your confidence rather than deplete it, thinking about what you don't have versus what you do. And so focusing on being curious and learning something from experience, is this something someone can do in their mind leading right up to that challenge? Let's say you're about to give a key presentation or have a difficult conversation where you're asking your boss for a raise, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And there's going to be stuff going through your head like, oh my God, oh my God, I can't screw this up. Oh my God, the consequences. And people oftentimes think of the consequences of what happens if they fail or if they do something wrong. Right. Is that shift something that can be done at that moment in your head? Or is it something that you need to train yourself on on a day-to-day basis? And then when that moment comes, you're less likely to ruminate on the consequences and more likely to think of it as, okay, I'm just having an experience. I'm learning something new. And if I do this wrong, if I don't get the raise, if I get bad reviews on my speech, I'm just learning what I can do better next time. Right. You have such good questions, Stephen. I love it. So the answer is both. Sure, you can do that in the moment. You absolutely can. But if you do the latter part of what you said, Stephen, you're going to be more effective. You know, confidence is like a muscle. And Mm -hmm. like any muscle, when we use it, it grows. When we don't, it atrophies. And you don't just go spend like eight hours at the gym one day and then you're (laughs) ripped for life, right? Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's a couple times a week or it's 30 minutes a day or whatever that is, because how we do anything is how we do everything. You've probably heard that phrase before and your confidence is the same way. So in setting your mindset at the beginning of the day or the end of the day, or whenever you've got time to concentrate, you know, for some people they get up and it's just, it's chaos. And that's not the time that they get good thinking time for some people. It's the evening. So one thing is just recognizing and honoring where that space is. And if you can't think of a space, that's really a red flag that you really think of one because there's a whole lot of other things that could wind up blowing up. So even if it's for a few minutes to think through the consequences, the outcomes that you want to generate, to think mm-hmm. about where your skill set will apply. Those things are very important. And when it comes to confidence, there's two primary circumstances where it gets rattled. Okay. One is in unfamiliar situations, the first time that you've done something. And the second is in high stakes situations. So to your your point earlier, Stephen, that when you're asking for the raise, right? That's a high stakes conversation. Mm-hmm. Okay. So to remedy that, you can always familiarize the unfamiliar by thinking through the situation that you're going to be in. You know, what do you know about the person that you're meeting with? What questions can you anticipate that person will ask? What's the room going to be like where you're going to be meeting? Can you go sit in that room and walk yourself through what's going to happen? Do you know the temperature in the room? Is it going to be too cold? Is it going to be too hot? I mean, just having that awareness It helps your brain go into overdrive thinking about all these unknowns to say, well, it could be this or it could be that. But now I've got an idea. I'm familiarizing it. Mm -hmm. So that's one step toward it. And there's a lot there that can apply to public speaking, definitely. And then with the high stakes side of things, it's not that you can reduce the stakes so much. However, your preparation going into it is going to build your confidence so that when you're having the conversation, your voice is going to sound more confident, your posture is going to be more confident, the preparation that you did, the you know the bullet points, the notes that you go in with, those are all going to convey your preparedness, which fuels and feeds into your confidence. So given the preparedness or competency, would you agree with the statement that Everybody has the capacity to be very confident or very unconfident. 
depending on what particular situation or what particular task they're doing and whether or not they are or believe themselves to be competent in that task. And the same person is doing something that they do every day. They're really confident, but then they go somewhere else and they can be a very unconfident person. I don't know what the opposite of confident is. Insecure, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, that's better. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. Yes. I mean, we can ebb and flow with that, certainly. And, you know, one of the myths of confidence is that you're either born with it or you're not. And while there is a confidence gene, some people are naturally born with more than others. This isn't the same kind of characteristic as height. (laughs) You know, like (laughs) to the best of my knowledge, not much we can do about our, our height. But confidence is more, you know, like blood pressure or something like your lifestyle changes And your own self-management of it can really grow it and get it to the point that you want. And here's the thing about even the most confident of people, right? Like I've been studying this for years. I've been practicing this for years. I wrote a book on it. I still lose confidence in situations, but I know the exercises to do proactively. And I know the exercises to do in the moment. And then I also know, and this is coming straight from a recovering perfectionist, the things that I can do afterwards so that I can move on from that situation and not let it keep just beating me up and beating me up and taking up that space in my mind and doing those mental gymnastics that could be used for something far more productive. And so you talk about things people can do to improve their confidence. Mm-hmm. What about the other side of the coin? The number one thing or the top two things that people do on a regular basis that wrecks their self-confidence that you could easily just benefit from saying, I need to stop doing this. Yes. So one, watch your self-talk. You know, it's amazing. A lot of my clients will notice this. My signature coaching program is a a 12-week program. And in the second week, we go through some exercises to create awareness around what is that little voice in your head telling you? Is it full of more doubt or is it full of more championing? And, you know, recognizing that and going through some exercises to flip the narrative and take care of it. So, you know, that first thing is listen to what you're telling yourself. Are you saying things to yourself that you would never in a million years say to somebody else? Are mm-hmm. you saying things to yourself that you would never say to the four-year-old version of yourself? Wow. That's certainly something to recognize because if you are, it's essentially like trying to run and carrying a boulder. Like that's going to be really difficult. Whereas you know how to run. So if you can ditch the boulder, think about how much better that's going to be. And how often is unusually high or excessive amount of negative self-talk an issue that you encounter? There's negative self-talk of just about every single client I start working with. <laughs> yeah. And and you know, the thing is, she knows that confidence is in there. She knows that she's had it before. Usually she's gone through something or she's on the precipice of something and she can't quite figure it out. And there's actually a second response to your earlier question. I want to get back to you about what depletes confidence. So let's put a pin in that and come back. But she knows that confidence has been in there and she's just been in an environment where negativity and some toxicity and some things have been layering over her gifts and her strengths. And it's just a matter of peeling back some of those layers, recognizing some of the triggers and saying, hey, yeah, there's my hit it to me girl down in there. Like there's that superpower, there's that strength. And once we bring that out of her, I just got goosebumps. I love love what I do. Once you draw that out of her, she's like, I'm unstoppable. I mean, one of my clients in her very first session She grew up with some physical impairments. So her whole life, you know, she's been ridiculed or, you know, just probably suffered in in ways more than children without physical impairments. And, you know, now she's an adult and she's very technically savvy. And at the end of our first session, I asked her, I said, okay, what's your key takeaway from today? And she said, I'm a warrior. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm a warrior, Jamie. And she said, and I've never thought of myself that way before. And it's true. Like she is a warrior. We're all warriors. It's just sometimes we get these bad situations or toxic people, which is the second one that I wanted to mention. And it makes us question and doubt those superpowers. And it's not that we're all strong in everything, not at all. But when you find that superpower and you prioritize it, that's really helpful in reminding yourself that, yes, I'm here for a reason. I have gifts. Other people benefit from my gifts. And it's a pretty powerful thing. I just want to point out how amazing it is. And it's always amazing to talk to people. And I'm lucky by being the host of this podcast, I get to talk to plenty of people who, as you said, get goosebumps about it, or at the very least are really excited to talk about what they're doing. Because one of the motivations behind starting this podcast was encountering a lot of people who aren't in love with what they're doing. They aren't motivated. They don't get chills by what they're doing. It's just something that pays the rent or pays the mortgage or whatever. Right. And you said the other thing that a lot of people encounter or do that reduces their self-confidence is being around toxic environments and toxic people. Is that how you describe it? Or is there a better way to, to think about this? Yeah, so that's spot on. <laughs> when you are in a toxic working environment around toxic people, that can chip away and chip away and chip away at your self-esteem. And it's almost like this slow poison and in that initially it might not feel like that big of a deal, but over time it will really wear at you. And, you know, I can't ever give the advice, well, you've got to quit your job, you know, because I don't know what, yeah. you know, people's financial situation, I don't know that. And I'm not going to recommend that without more information by any means. However, it is something to be really aware of because assuming that at some point you rise above that and you have a different situation where you're more appreciated, where their insecurities are not being transferred and thrown onto you, it will take a little bit to recover from that. You know, there is may sound a little dramatic, but there is some PTSD that can come from that. So if you recognize it and you know that you're in that environment, I would highly encourage exploring other options. And what do you think is the best way to know? And I'm I'm assuming right now that this idea of a toxic environment or toxic people can apply to both work as well as other areas of life, whether personal life, family, friends, circles. So yeah, that stuff. What is the easiest way to, or the best way for someone to figure out whether or not there is an environment that they need to get out of? Yes. So when you wake up in the morning to go to work, and whether that means walking into your home office or actually driving into work, do you wake up and immediately have dreadful thoughts. Like, mm. how am I going to do this today? You know, like I talk about the Eeyore mentality versus the Tigger mentality, right? Do you wake up like poor Eeyore, like just tail between your legs? All right, I'll do this because I have to. It means to an ends, what have you. Or do you wake up more like Tigger? And like, okay, maybe let's be realistic. You're not like bouncing like, <laughs> oh, I can't wait to get to work, right? But some element yeah. of excitement that you look forward to what you do or the people you work with or the cause that you contribute to or the, you know, the product that you're delivering or something. So you can do the morning check. And then also afterwards, I mean, after work, do you just want to go home and flop on your couch or, and do nothing? Or are you like, Hey, let's go for a walk. I mean, let's make dinner. Let's, you know, spend time with my family. Like, are you excited to spend time with your family? Or are you like, mm, I need some time to decompress and like wash this ickiness off of me before I engage <laughs> with my loved ones. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not that tricky to diagnose, but it's one of those that, you know, when you're the, the frog in the boiling pot of water, so to speak, it can be hard to recognize it. Yeah. I mean, it can be quite tough because I've been in situations in the past. I've witnessed other people and I've been this person as well, where you just suddenly realize that this person is getting more and more negative 
And it shows up in just lots of other areas. Like, do they randomly go on rants? And how often does it happen? How often does the conversation turn to what's bad when something good is happening? It's just, it's a tough thing to see. Yeah, it is a tough thing to see. Other signs, other indications are sloppy mistakes, like things that the person wouldn't normally mess up. Like, I mean, little things like, you know, two different colored socks, you know, those things happen sometimes. But if you see kind of a buildup of sloppy mistakes, that's definitely an indication. Also trouble making decisions, like a decision that would have been pretty easy before. Like, okay, I'm going to the grocery store. If you find that that used to take you five minutes, and now it takes 10 or 15 minutes, that's probably an indication that there's some sort of toxicity going on. And so if someone notices that about themselves, I've talked about this in other previous episodes about just awareness, consciousness, you know, seeing, observing what's happening with you and being aware of it as opposed to just being always distracted. But when you become aware of something like that, then the next step would be to just be like, okay, something around me is toxic and I just need to kind of investigate what, because everyone has multiple things going on in their lives. What's causing me to become a less confident person at this point in time? One would consciously say, this is why I'm losing my confidence. But it's more like you said, Stephen, like identifying the trigger or, you know, just doing a check on, you know, like these are the three places in any given day I spend the most time. What would I rank my happiness level at while I'm spending time with each of these? And how often is that thing that's causing a negative impact on someone's self-confidence, the news or social media or something else that we hear about quite a bit? Yeah. I mean, if you want to crush your confidence, go spend some time on social media for a little while. (laughs) Unless you're really particular unfriending or unlinking with people who are just constantly complaining or, you know, depends on what your triggers are, right? Everybody's got different triggers, but I like looking at happy things because all those things are making an impression on my subconscious mind. And I'd rather feed it with with positivity than with negativity. Yeah. And so I also want to talk to you a little bit about your business. You talked about your own personal experience and that motivated you to start. uh, What kind of people do you work with in this business? Are you working with people, different stages of careers and stuff like that? That's also a both answer. (laughs) (laughs) My client avatar, as we say in marketing terms, my most common client, she is an emerging woman leader. She's anywhere between 25 and let's say 36, 37 years old. She's at the management level and she wants to get to director or she's director and she wants to get to VP. And this is a pretty common blockage point in corporate America. I mean, some some people call it the broken rung of the corporate ladder is that, you know, companies and industries, they hire entry level 50-50 men and women. But then as you go up the ladder, the number yeah. of women declines significantly. And you can look at all the percentages and the drop-offs. And, you know, I heard that there are more men named John in the C-suite of Fortune 500 companies than there are women. (laughs) More men with just the name John. Just the name. Yeah. Like let that one sink (laughs) in for a second, right? So back to the client avatars. She's in that phase of like, I know there's more for me. I'm ready. I just don't know exactly how to get there. And that's, that's very true. A lot of companies don't really have the tools to plug in there. And that's exactly where I help is we look at that process and we say, all right, here's what it takes to get promoted. Here's your plan for promotion. In my three pillars of leadership coaching program, 92% of the women last year wound up with promotions or higher level responsibilities. That's awesome. And one of the things that that made me think of is the whole idea that a lot of companies promote people based on usually it's confidence at your current job. But then when you go up to the next level, 
you need to learn a completely different set of skills. So to go from a doer entry level to say like a middle management, you need to learn how to manage people. And then when you go above that level, you need to learn how to think a lot more on big picture systems. So as part of your program, teaching these skills, because you're right, I don't think most corporations give you training when they're saying, okay, you're ready for a promotion. Now we're going to train you on this new job function, which is completely different than the one you were just doing. It's just (laughs) great that you know that your new subordinates are doing because you've done it. Right. Yes. So that's a huge part of it. So there's three keys to fix three tools, essentially, to fixing the broken rung. It's creating visibility for yourself. It's getting credit for your work. And it's what I call building your MAC team. And this speaks right to the the question that you just asked, Stephen. MAC is an acronym for Mentors, Allies, and Champions. Because as you're moving up and your position is getting more specialized or more particular to the company, to the industry for whom you work... The people who have done it before you, they know what you don't know. (laughs) There's often not a handbook or a training manual at that point. So one of the best ways to learn that position and to do it proactively, this is how you get asked to come up to the level, is you're very strategic about enlisting mentors, allies, and champions in your personal portfolio. I was just on a call yesterday. It was pretty cool. I'm talking to one of my my Shiro's, my Shiplus Hero, my Shiro clients. And she was sharing a success story that just recently, she was offered not just one, but two potential promotions in the same week. Oh, wow. As we were talking through it and talking about the people who had offered these to her, it occurred to her, she's like, oh my gosh, yes, they were my mentors. They have known her for a few years. They've seen her strengths. They've seen her weaknesses. They've seen her leading as her authentic self and have now seen this position and said, yes, you are a great fit for this. A lot of the women that don't get that promotion get stuck at that broken ladder. How much of that issue is that they're not getting viewed? They're not getting noticed. They're not actually like in the eye of people because people at a really high level, people Mm -hmm. who are making the decisions to make those promotions are oftentimes really busy. And so they don't have the time to be like, okay, I'm going to look at all the 1000 people that are under my jurisdiction, you know, in my underneath me in the organization, they have so much to think about that mostly they're going to be thinking about the people who naturally end up working with them because of their day-to-day operations. Yes. It's a lot, if not everything. I mean, well, the competence piece is certainly there. You have to know how to do your job and be doing a good job, if not a great job. But yeah, it's totally up to you to raise your hand and create that visibility because you're right. The leaders have a lot going on. I mean, besides thinking about who might be a good fit for this role, they've got their own job accountabilities, right? Yep. And that's where a lot of women get stuck sometimes is that, well, I don't want to you know, brag. Well, first of all, it's not bragging when it's true. (laughs) Yeah. Second of all, creating that visibility. And this is a mindset thing too. It's not that you're bothering that person. You're doing them a favor by saying, look, Mm -hmm. I would be a great candidate for this job. And here's why. You don't even have to go searching. Like, I'm right here. Tell me what I need to do to get to that next step. And they're going to make it a whole lot easier on them. So you're doing them a favor. You're not imposing. Now there is, I will say, I will put a tiny asterisk on that. (laughs) Yeah. There is a balance in there of assertive communication as opposed to passive or aggressive. You know, so there are some things to think through as far as how you're using your voice, what words you're choosing, when there are some of those nuances. But when you're qualified, I highly encourage you to raise your hand or even to apply to a job that you might not be ready for or might not be an exact fit because that's you signaling, hey, I'm ready for something else. 
And I love the way you put it because I feel like a lot of people talking themselves up, you know, whether that be asking for a promotion or in the case of people who are starting their own business, asking for someone's business, asking, will you hire me to do this? Will you bring me on as a consultant? Will you bring me on for that? So I love the way you put it saying that you're doing them a service because you're telling them about something, imagining it from the perspective of this busy person that has so much to do and they're like probably eventually they're like, oh man, I need to know who who to hire for this role. But you know, I'll just throw these things on the desk here. But I have 48 <laughs> emails in my inbox that I'm behind. By bringing yourself up, assuming that you're confident, you're doing them a favor by saying, hey, I'm someone that could fill this role. My question is, there's a balance between doing that obviously too little, which is a bigger problem, and being too much in someone's face. What do you think is the right balance as far as, okay, I want to get noticed. I want my boss. I want the people above them. I want people to notice me, but I also don't want to get it to the point where it becomes annoying. Yeah. And like communicating with prospects or what have you, the phrase that I like to use is that, you know, I'm trying to strike the balance between staying in front of you and not being this annoying little schnauzer who's nipping at your ankles. Neither one of us wants me to be the annoying little schnauzer, right? (laughs) So, I mean, the best way I can answer that question is it's not a matter of what I think. It's the matter of what the person on the receiving end thinks and you can ask them. So when you initially put up your smoke signal and say, I'm ready for this next level, I'd like to have this discussion. When would it be good for me to follow up with you? Or you can take even more ownership of it and saying, I'd like to get on your calendar, you know, send me a note or I'll follow up with you again in two weeks. So this is awesome because I think we spend a lot of time in so many different settings. Work is just one of them, Mm -hmm. pursuing relationships, friendships, family, even anything else, trying to guess what somebody wants. We're looking at someone and we're like trying to guess what someone wants. Oh, I have to guess this. I'm guessing this. I'm guessing, oh, you want me to pick you up at eight or six or nine or whatever. And sometimes the easiest thing to do is to just ask and just say, how about that, Stephen? (laughs) What's a good time? What's a good way to do it? And usually it goes a lot better, but so many people don't think to just ask. Just ask. Yeah. I mean, ask for what you want. That's another when you're cultivating your Mac team, who are ultimately going to be very instrumental in helping you get promoted, sometimes there's awkwardness experience with how do I reach out? Like, how do I send the email? How do I invite them, you know, to, to have this conversation to be my potential mentor, to put the official label on our allyship together? And that's one of the things I do for my clients sometimes is they'll send me the email and say, Hey, Jamie, how do you think this sounds? Say, great. Or, you know, you might want to think about this or that or put the timestamp in, like you just said, Stephen, so that you've got control of it. Because, you know, one of the things we all hate is ghosting, right? When you send the email and it just feels like it went into some big dark hole and you go through this process in your mind of, well, are they ignoring me? Did I offend them? Are they being mean to me? And the answer most likely is none of the above. They were busy. (laughs) They had 174 other emails come in their inbox today and it just slip their mind, right? So if in that email, you can say, I look forward to hearing back from you. You know, if your inbox is overloaded right now, no worries. I'll follow up again in two weeks. Great. Now you don't have to go through the mental gymnastics and then you can reach out again in two weeks. And you know what? We do still have phones. <laughs> Which <laughs> I heard this statistic about smartphones that the phone function itself is like number five or six on the list of things that we actually use our smartphones for. <laughs> 
I believe that. But, you know, I always like to do that too. call and leave a voicemail and just say, hey, you know, I sent you an email. Just want to follow up with a voicemail. You know, we'd love to get on your calendar when it makes the most sense for you. Don't worry about calling me back. I'll be happy to send another email if it's easier to just reply there or my numbers. this. Give me a call. So one thing I'm wondering is you talk about mentors, advisors, and champions. Do most people understand the difference between these three categories of people in your life? And even if you do understand the difference, is there overlap? Mm -hmm. So mentors, allies, and champions. And there can be overlap, but at their at their core definitions, with mentors, you have the most formal relationship in that you meet at a regular cadence. There's a specific project or a specific skill or something that you're looking to develop that your mentor has expertise in. It's very formal. They can be both inside your organization and outside. And it's actually best to have a combination, male and female, inside and outside of your organization. An ally, on the other hand, is most likely inside your organization around the same level as you on the org chart. And they're the person, I call this your doubles partner almost, in in a meeting with you. So it's like, Stephen, if you and I are in a meeting together and you're promoting your podcast, for example, and I'm in the meeting there with you and I'm saying, oh my gosh, yes. And you know what else I love about Stephen's podcast is he does such great work in in preparing for it. He has some of the best questions I've ever heard a podcast host say, like, I'm there to be your ally, right? And you can count on me for that. And I can count on you for that. And it's so helpful to have those allies, those genuine allies. And incidentally, to be a true ally, both of you have to be secure in your confidence and that you lift up each other's strengths and you're not intimidated when the other person knows what your weaknesses are. So there's a lot of trust between allies, but you can use this very strategically. So, you know, in a different company, once I was out of automotive, I was on the executive team at a company and there were two females on the executive team. We had complimentary VP roles and we were each other's allies left and right, up and down, you know, when one of us would say something, the other one would support it. And she was there before I was there. And she said, you know, after we'd been working together for a few months, she said, you know, she said, I feel like the CEO listens to me more often. And you're in the room because when you reiterate what I say, giving her credit, of course, now it's two people with the idea instead of one. That's also a great way if you're presenting, if you've got, you know, a public speaking fear, presenting fear, cultivate some allies in your audience ahead of time. And that will be wildly helpful in calming your nerves, knowing that you've got friendly faces, knowing that you You've got somebody to ask a question if you want to ask a question that, you know, you've got your your peeps and the audience are with you. A good ally. And so it sounds like the antithesis of a good ally is what some people would refer to as a frenemy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the person that's secretly threatened. Yeah. And that's the person who's going to steal your ideas. You know, that's the person who's going to take credit for your work. And that's where you're going to have to stand up for yourself, use your assertive voice, or that one of your allies can say, hey, Jeremy, Brittany was the one who originally said that. Thanks for building on her idea. But she was the one who started off with that. Interesting. And so as a genuine alliance, as opposed to kind of more of a, I don't know, transactional, I think of a lot of employment as having way too much of a transactional relationship. And that might be changing now, but traditionally it's been very much, what do you do for me? What do I do for you? And I think we've all heard stories about insecure people taking credit for other people's work. An alliance and real ally kind of flips that on its head and says, okay, in work, this is how we work best together with someone. And this is someone that has my back. And I think of it as just like like how true friendship almost works. Yeah, because you've got trust, 
right? And you get awareness of each other's strengths and weaknesses and you you honor that and you compliment it. And you know, that's talk about like why I refer to it as a doubles partner, because you're both winning in that situation. Okay. Yeah. You know, if you're elevating the conversation, you're elevating the company in some way, and you both will benefit from that. You can think of mentors almost like your pipeline for champions. So champions are experienced people with a lot of clout, respect, you know, either within the company or within the industry, you stay on their radar, you know, you look up to them. Sometimes the way I describe it is like, who's your favorite aunt or uncle? You know, your champion is like that favorite aunt or uncle that you have at work. You have that kind of relationship with them. You go to them to say, Hey, guess what I did today? Or, (laughs) Oh, you know what? I had this really awkward conversation with my manager. Can you talk through this with me and help me? And then champion's also the one who's, you know, up there hovering. And when he or she is in important meetings and strategic meetings and special opportunities or something comes up and they're the ones who are going to say, Hey, you know who we should consider for this? We should invite in Gina or we should invite in Rachel. In case anyone listening out there wants to get a hold of you, wants to hear about your services, I know, first of all, you have your consulting services and also you wrote a book. So first, tell us about the book and then where someone would go to get a hold of you if someone is interested in talking with you about this 12-week program or anything else that you might be able to help them with. Sure. So the book is called Speak Up Sister, The Professional Woman's Guide to Confidence and Success. And I've had a few men write it and they have recommended that I call it Speak Up Sister and Mister. <laughs> so. <laughs> Whatever works for you, but Speak Up Sister, you can find on my website. The first part of the book talks a lot about the the psychology and the foundational pieces of building your confidence and knowing that it is yours to build. You own it. You have control over it. You validate it. It's not somebody else that is going to give or take it from you once you know where it starts and how to continue to cultivate it, how to continue to go to the confidence gym and, and have fun in doing that. And then part two of the book is standalone chapters of, okay, now that you've got this foundational confidence in place, here are some situations that you may find yourself running into in a working world. And here's how to not just survive, but to thrive through them with your confidence. And this is the speaking upside. This is being relatable. This is taking criticism as if it were a compliment. This is building your Mac team, your mentors, allies, and champions, all those sorts of things. And then this book is about doing not just reading. So at the end of each chapter, you will find a confidence challenge checklist and it will give you some ways to practice what you learned in that chapter because knowing isn't growing, but doing is moving. And this book is designed not just for reading, but for actual action. Nice. And then your website is? And then the website is jamieempowers.com. So J-A-M-I-E-E-M-P-O-W-E-R-S. (laughs) And you can find information about the book there. You can order the book. You can find information about my workshop. And the best way to get a hold of me is just to go to the contact button on the website. Send me a note. I would love to hear from you. I've got open enrollment between now. So we're recording this in early November between now and the end of November. And then also really exciting announcement is that there's online courses coming out in January. So if you want to be part of the founding member group for those, again, just find me on my website and I will be happy to follow up with you. And then one final question is that you talk a little bit about people who are trying to move up in organizations. Yes. Do a lot of these principles of confidence also apply to people who are starting up their own businesses and people who are trying to generate a client base or maybe even trying to scale up and get to the next level with their businesses? 
Yes. Stephen, confidence is foundational for absolutely everything. (laughs) (laughs) In business, starting a business, dating. I mean, it's foundational for all of it. And it relates to starting up a business. And I'm sure you can look up statistics on this, but you know, investors, angel investors, they'll tell you that they make the decision within about the first 10 seconds, mostly based on how someone is presenting themselves. And that confidence piece is a huge, huge part of it. That is, I guess, just such an important part of everywhere in life. And so I'd like to encourage all those listening out there to work on your self-confidence and make sure it's not... There are many things I think that can inhibit us from getting to where we really want in life. And I started this podcast encouraging more people to get to that place. Just look inside yourself, see what's improving your confidence. There are definitely people in your life right now that are improving your confidence and people in your life right now that are draining your confidence, that are making you feel shittier about yourself. And to get aware of that, get into the right spot and do some of these exercises to improve it. Jamie, I would like to thank you so much for joining me today on Actions Antidotes. And thank you to all the listeners and stay tuned or tune back into Actions Antidotes where we will continue to have more interesting conversations with people who came into this world and started something interesting and made their own impact and achieved in some capacity the kind of life that they really wanted. Thank you. 